Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 20. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Now are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is as far as we're going to get to tonight. We're going to touch on where we're going to go to next week at the end of our study. But for tonight, we're going to break down these verses. And I just want to just start off by saying we hear a lot of Christians and churches in these days talking about a coming world revival and how Christians will change the world. Have you ever heard that kind of talk in Christian circles? How there's a coming world revival, worldwide revival, and the Christians are going to change the world. Well, what I want to do tonight is I want to take a good look at the scriptures and I want to show you that the Bible does not teach that there's going to be a coming worldwide revival. And the Bible doesn't say that the Christians will change the world. The Bible actually says very clearly, and you're going to see this tonight, that the world's going to get worse and worse and worse until the end comes. And at the same time, look closely at what Jesus says here in verse uh, 14. It says, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are what? Few. So we're going to tonight do a little study and then deal with the false teachers. And that's where he goes right into after that about false teachers are going to come pretending to be teaching truth. And they're going to twist the scriptures. And I'm going to show you some of those scriptures they're going to teach. And we're going to deal tonight with having a biblical understanding of where we are in the last days and what's coming. Like I said, the Bible actually tells us that things will not get better on earth until Jesus returns and that things will actually get worse and worse. But this false idea will be per perpetrated by false teachers, and they will increase as we get closer to the end. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, the whole chapter, into chapter 4, verse 5. Paul says, But understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and lead astray, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, and my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, 
my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them and all, and sorry, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, we'll, we'll finish here with verse 5. As for you, he says, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill the ministry. In this passage, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he said, look, in the last days, things are going to get worse and worse and worse. There's going to be imposters. There's going to be people deceiving others. And how are we going to know who's telling the truth and who's not? How are we going to know whether or not Jim Johnson's lying to you right now? How are you going to know? The Scripture. That's the whole context of what he's saying here. Look, and that's, we, always, we love that passage about how all scriptures God breathed and, and profitable. In the context, it's actually being used by Paul to remind Timothy that that's what's going to make you able to recognize those that are teaching truth and those that are teaching falsehood. You have to know the scriptures. And folks, that's what I've told you before. I'm not going to take the time to go into the great detail of it, but most of you believe wonderful things because you were told that. We talked before about how many of you believe in the virgin birth or how many of you believe in the Trinity. But how many of you could ever tell me where in Scripture the Bible talks about the virgin birth or the Trinity? You believe in things that are doctrinally true because you were told that. But at the same time, there's going to be, as you're going to see later on in our study tonight, doctrines that are taught by demons in the last days. Is it not true Satan can quote Scripture? But he twists it. How are you going to know? How are you going to know if what I'm saying to you is the truth? You have to study the Scripture for yourself. Oh, but Jim, I'm not really good at that. I just need someone to tell me what it says. Oh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, when He comes to live in you, will lead you and He'll guide you into all the truth. If the Spirit of God lives within you and you're His child, He will show you. You will understand it. It's spiritually discerned, not intellectually discerned. Don't think that somebody smarter than you or the more education than you can understand it more than you. That's a lie of the enemy. It's received by faith. And those who are willing to humble themselves and say, Lord, you will teach me. Lord, you will show me. Those are the ones that God opens their eyes to these things. Go to Luke chapter 18. Look at Luke chapter 18 and verse 8. This, kind of, this verse seems to kind of go against the whole worldwide revival and the church changing the world. Luke chapter 18, verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Go to Luke chapter 17, back up to chapter 17, look at verses 26 through 30. 
Jesus again says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot came, went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. And so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Again, does it sound like a great worldwide revival had occurred? No, they were right on doing their stuff, getting from bad to worse, the scripture says. And as Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Go to Matthew chapter 24. Look at verses 3 through 14. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 14. As he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and, of, and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Let me stop for a second and help you to understand something, hopefully. When he says these are the beginning of the birth pains, we don't have the time to go into the study tonight. But I could take you back into the Old Testament that where God describes the time of the tribulation period or the time of Jacob's trouble, that seven year period that's coming on the nation of Israel and the world. But God's purpose is to bring Israel to their knees and to the Savior, and also to judge the world, is called a time of Jacob's trouble, but it's also in the prophecies described as a time in which the nation of Israel is going to go through the pains of childbirth. Actually, there are prophecies in Jeremiah that talks about women, sorry, men who are holding their stomach like they're in labor because of the agony they're going through. When, what's going on here is when Jesus actually is describing the signs of his coming, he's describing the tribulation period. Now, we hopefully understand that from the scriptures, the church will be taken out before that time period. We're going to be escaping the wrath that is to come on the whole world. But at the same time, what will be the signs of his coming in the, in, the, in, the, in the end? What does he say? There's going to be false Christs, right? But does anybody remember when Jesus opens the first seal in Revelation, what comes? The Antichrist, the man on the white horse. Then he said there's going to be what? You see it right there. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Anybody know what the second seal is in Revelation? The red horse, and that's war. And then we see there's going to be famines, and that's the pale horse, and, and so on. Folks, Jesus is describing the tribulation period, the opening of the seals. And as you know, he's going to keep going. Let me keep reading to you. This is just the beginning of the birth pains. They'll deliver you up to, be tri to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated. He's talking to the nation of Israel, you'll see in just a second. He's not talking to the church. They'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of most or many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, here he's described the whole tribulation period, even to the very end of it. Then he's going to go in the next verses, which we're not going to get into here in Matthew, and he's going to talk about the midpoint when the Antichrist steps into the wing of the temple, declares himself to be God, and he tells the nation of Israel, when you see this happen, you better get out of Jerusalem, get out of Judea, 
don't go back into your house. And he warns them. He said, pray that this doesn't happen on a Sabbath. Again, not talking to the church, talking to the Jews. Pray that your flight doesn't happen in the winter again, not talking to the church because it's winter somewhere for Christians all over the globe. He's talking to the Jews. But look closely at what he says. He says, then this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. How many of you, I want to show our hands here, have heard the church talk about how as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. Anybody heard that? We've been all taught that, haven't we? Well, real quickly, I'm going off my notes here for a second, but I think it's worth the time to chase this rabbit. Go to Acts, uh, sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been what? Proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So here Paul said at that time it had already been preached in all creation. Go to Romans chapter 10. A very famous passage we love to quote. Well, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? In Romans chapter 10, look at verse 14. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? Or how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. For years we've been hearing preachers say, well, how can they hear unless they pre someone preaches to them? If you look at the context of Romans 10, Paul's been quoting from the Old Testament all along, and what he's simply saying is, God would never expect the world to believe something they'd never heard. How can they hear unless someone preaches? And how can someone preach unless they're sent? God's already been doing this. He's already been preaching. He's already been sending it. Have they not heard? Yes, they already have. His word has made it to the ends of the world. So what does this mean then here in Matthew 24 when he says this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come? Go to Revelation chapter 14. At the very end, Revelation chapter 14 verses 6 and 7, at the very end of the tribulation period, folks, God's going to take care of it himself. In Revelation 14, look at verses 6 and 7. John says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. At the very end of the tribulation period, there's going to be an angel that hangs in midair and preaches the gospel to the whole world. So when Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come, he's referring to this angel that's going to do it. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't keep sending missionaries out, that we shouldn't keep sharing the gospel, because even though the gospel has been proclaimed in all creation, and even though his word has gone out into all the earth, there are generations that are being born every day, you know? There are people that are being born and they need to hear and we need to keep sharing with the gospel until Jesus comes and gets us. But don't think for a second that it's waiting on us to get the gospel to the whole world. The Bible says God has left everyone without excuse. He doesn't need us. So here's what I want you to understand. We've got to get a biblical understanding so that you won't fall prey to the false teachers 
We have a responsibility to be used as God's ambassadors. But don't think for a second that we're going to change the world. Don't think for a second that there's going to be this great revival at the end. I'm going to show you in a little bit in our study why, where that came from and where, why that is. But remember what Jesus said for our passage for tonight. Jesus said that the road that leads to eternal life is narrow and hard and few there be that find it. The road that leads to destruction is wide and easy and many go that way. But as he then went on and we'll get to in a little bit, he said there's going to be false teachers though. And, there, and we said we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 into chapter 4 that as the world gets worse and worse and deceivers keep on going and deceiving, there's going to be people that are going to accumulate for themselves teachers that tickle their ears, teachers that tell them things that sound good to them, make them feel good, but they're being lied to and they're being deceived. By the way, before I go any further into that for our time period, did you know that that actually happened to the nation of Israel right as the time of God's judgment was coming on them? Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 6. In Jeremiah chapter 6, look at verses 10 through 15. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised, they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and their wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there's no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed an abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They didn't know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At that time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. As you remember, when God was bringing judgment on the nation of Israel, and especially in the city of Jerusalem, and they're about to go into captivity, the prophets, the false prophets, were all saying, no, 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 we're going to be fine. We're not going to be overtaken. Jeremiah kept saying, and Isaiah kept saying, no, 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 we're going to be overtaken. Oh, you're just in, in league with Babylon. It, he's not going to win. Everything's going to be fine, everybody. Hey, just relax. You're all doing real good. Everything's going to be fine. Peace, peace. We are the world. We are the people. One day there's going to be world peace. Go to Jeremiah chapter 8. Look at verses 4 through 12. By the way, hopefully the, those who are listening didn't just tune in then and think that I believe what I just said. That was sarcasm. Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 4 through 12. Thus you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, When men fall, do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not return? Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, saying, What have I done? Everyone turns to his own course like a horse plunging headlong into battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows their times, and the turtle dove, swallow and crane, keep the time of their coming. But my people know not the rules of the Lord. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. 
so what wisdom is in them? Therefore I will give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors, because from the least to the greatest everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they weren't ashamed. They didn't even know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Here it is, almost word for word again. Two chapters later, go to Ezekiel chapter 13. When God sends warnings, folks, and the fact that judgment is coming and his word says that a judgment is coming and people say, no, 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 he's not going to judge. It's going to be okay. There's many roads that lead to heaven and you just got to find the one that works for you. And well, be careful. Ezekiel chapter 13, look at verses 1 through 16. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They, they say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them. And yet they expect Him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I'm against you, declares the Lord God, my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God precisely because they have misled my people, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now, before I go any further, let me just say this real quickly. There may be times that you disagree with me. And you have every right to disagree with me because I want you to check everything I say against the scriptures. And I want you to believe what you believe the scriptures are saying according to the word of God and the spirit of God within you. But please don't ever think for a second that I don't take extremely serious the fact that I have to stand here and say, thus says the Lord. The Bible says we will be held in stricter accountability, those of us who do it. And I take very, very seriously that when I stand up and teach you what I teach, that one day I will be held accountable for everything that I've said. And so please understand that when I teach the word, I have prayed and prayed and prayed and wrestled and looked at it. And before I say, this is what I believe it says, I have gotten to the place that I believe I can say that. Go ahead, Warren. I tell my class regularly, I try to follow the practice from Titus 2.1 in the 84 NIV. It says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Exactly. And I changed one word in that setting. I said, you must listen to what is in accord with sound doctrine. Exactly. We have to. and Because if we teach... We will be held in accountability. You see how strict God is right now with the prophets of Israel who were lying and saying, peace, peace, when there was no peace. And because when the people build a wall, the prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There shall be a deluge of rain and you, O great hailstones, will fall. And stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, will it be, not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in anger and in great hailstones and wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash, 
and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I spend my wrath upon the wall and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord God. Folks, let me just tell you straight up. When God was bringing judgment on the people of Israel, there were many prophets who said, not going to happen. It's going to be peace and prosperity. We're going to be fine. I know it looks bad right now, but things are going to get better. Things are going to get better. And folks, that kind of preaching and teaching is happening now in these last days. As the Bible is very clear that narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. These false prophecies of a worldwide revival and the church is going to change the world are being spread. Do you know the Bible says that's going to happen again? In the last days, I've been talking about it. Let me show you from the scriptures, though. Don't just take my word for it. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 11. Paul says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come on who? Them. Don't miss that. Not us. Them. Will come on them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet a hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The scripture is very clear. There's going to be those who say things are going to get better and better. Peace and security, peace and security. The Bible says that that's actually going to be false teaching. It's going to be lies because judgment's going to come. Just like it did on Noah and Noah's people in their day and on Lot's people in their day. Everybody just thought everything was just going to keep right on going as it was. And we also know that in 2 Peter chapter 3, there's going to be scoffers who say, everything just keeps on going like it always did. Where is this coming? Where is this judgment you guys talk about? But just like God judged the whole world with the flood, He will judge the whole world with fire, the Bible says. That day is coming. Now, let me ask you a question, see if you guys can answer this one. Has that day been set? Is it already on the calendar or is it waiting for something? <laughs> it's a tough one because we hear people say that as soon as the last person gets saved, then the, the rapture will come. I'm talking about the day of judgment on the world. It, it's been set and it's on the calendar. It's on God's calendar. Go to Acts chapter 17. I don't want any of you to think that this idea of the judgment of God and the return of Jesus. Remember, when Jesus comes back to this earth, he's going to come as judge. Chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, 
Paul's talking, we'll start in verse 26, talking to the Areopagus there on Mars Hill in, in Athens, and he's talking to them about this unknown God they had, had an altar to. It says in verse 26, And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, yet He's actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. And even as some of your own poets have said, we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Folks, the day's been already set. It's on God's calendar. And every day we live on this earth, we're a day closer to it. It's not waiting until some nebulous person gets saved. It's already been set. We need to be living with that mindset. I'm sorry? Yep, the Father knows, but it's been set. So where do the people get this idea of a coming great revival? Where do, where do churches teach this idea of a coming great revival? There's a lot of different reasons, but I'm going to bring out a couple of them. One is, I believe it's from an incorrect eschatology. Now, I'm using a big Bible word on you, sorry, but eschatology is the study of last things. The study of the end times. And there's all different views on how things are going to play out in the end. There's a pre-tribulational view and a mid-tribulational view and a post-tribulational view. And there's amillennial view and all these different things. And folks, let me just tell you, for years when I was a young preacher, I used to study all the views and teach all the different views. And then as I grew in my understanding of the word, I came to realize the one only view that matches with the whole of Scripture. And I stopped teaching all the other views. I came to realize this. I said, look, if I don't believe those other views are biblical, why would I teach them? I don't stand here ever and teach you Jehovah's Witness views because I don't believe they're biblical. So I don't teach the other views anymore because of my understanding of the scripture. And again, I take very seriously that I will stand before God one day when I say, thus says the Lord. But I can look you in the eye and tell you that the only view of all the different end time views that matches with the whole of scripture. Oh, I could convince you of all the other views using a verse here and a verse there. But the only view that uses the whole of scripture is a view that Jesus is going to rapture his church prior to the seven year tribulation period. There's going to be a seven year tribulation period on the earth. At the end of that period, Jesus will come back and set up his kingdom literally on the earth. And after a thousand years of literal reigning on the earth, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where we'll spend eternity with God. There, that is the pre-tribulational view, but there is a literal millennial kingdom coming on the earth. But there are those that believe that there is no coming kingdom of Jesus ruling and reigning on the earth. They believe that when, at some point Jesus will come and take the believers with him and they'll just go to heaven. And they believe that the last thousand years, if you will, of the church age is the millennial kingdom. And that's, they take all the prophecies about what life's going to be like during the millennial kingdom on the earth, and they make that be what life's going to be like when Jesus is ruling and reigning through the church in the last days. And so they believe there's going to be this great right revival. But there's also another reason. Go to Revelation chapter 7. Go to Revelation chapter 7 and look at verses 9 through 17.
In Revelation chapter 7, look at verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither shall thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Yes, at some point, there is going to be a number of people that come to faith from every tribe and people in language, and they're going to be dressed in white robes and worshiping God around the throne. But where are those people going to come out of? What time period, according to the scriptures? That great tribulation period. By the way, if you know the book of Revelation, you'll know that during the tribulation period, the sun's going to scorch people, which is what they're going to be spared from after having gone through it for a period of time. My question for you is this, what happens to the believers who come to faith during the tribulation period? Most of them are going to be killed. They're going to be martyred. They won't take the mark of the beast. And when they don't take the mark of the beast, they won't be able to buy or sell. And they're going to end up being put to death. Folks, there are, is going to be a multitude of people who come to faith during the tribulation period. But it's not at the end of the church age. The Bible says in the end of the church age, things are going to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus takes us away and he begins what he's got planned for the nation of Israel and the people on the earth. Do you understand the importance of telling our friends and our family and our neighbors the truth? That a judgment is coming? That day is going to come like a thief in the night. Not for us. It's not going to catch us by surprise. We're going to be watching for it. We're to be looking for it. We're to be expecting it. We're to be watching for his return, expecting it at any moment. But when he takes us off this planet and everything else begins to happen in the day of the Lord, by the way, the day of the Lord, if you do a study in the scriptures of the day of the Lord, it includes the tribulation period and the millennial kingdom. When the day of the Lord begins and everybody's going to be saying peace and safety, it won't be. Now, there's also that phrase that the church is going to change the world. You've heard that one too, right? The church is going to change the world. I think I know where they get this idea, but they didn't read the scripture clearly. Go to Acts chapter 17 and look at verses 1 through 9. Acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 9. It said, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. 
And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers there before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Here they describe Paul and Silas and these other believers who had been preaching the gospel as these guys have, who have turned the world upside down. Did they change the world? No, they made it uncomfortable. They made it uncomfortable. Jesus himself, I'm not going to, again, I don't have time to go into the whole of Scripture to lay this out for you, but Jesus himself in John chapter 15 told his disciples, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. By the way, how do they feel about Jesus? How does the world feel about Jesus? How do they feel about him now? Hate him. Folks, we've got to have an understanding of what's going on on the globe and where we are and the importance of understanding biblical truth. So let's go back and look at what Jesus said in our section of study for Matthew chapter 7. Let's go back and take a look at verses 13 through 20. If you don't mind highlighting in your Bible or underlining, let me have you highlight or underline a few words in verses 13 and 14. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who find it or enter by it are many. Look at those words. Do you see it? Wide, easy, and many. The way that goes to hell is wide, it's easy, and there's many that go there. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Look at the difference there. The gate's narrow, and it's hard. And those who find it are few. That seems to kind of go against everything we've been preached, haven't we? Let me ask you a question. Why is going through the narrow gate hard? Our flesh won't fit is a good way. Go ahead, Jeremy. Just denying oneself and going to cross. Jeremy, you know your Bible, my brother. You're awesome. Go to Luke chapter 9. Go to Luke chapter 9. Look at verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now before we go any further... Remember, Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows why people say what they say. He knows what their motives really are. Why do you think Jesus, when this guy said, I'll follow you wherever you go, why do you think Jesus said, well, you know, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What do you think Jesus is saying to this guy? It's what? It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. A lot of us love the kind of preaching that says that you're going to be never sick. And wealthy. There's tons of preaching out there that says that, isn't it? 
You know, if you just do it right, you're going to have a nice house. You're going to have a nice car. You're not going to have any real health issues. Oh, if you have health issues, because you don't have enough faith. You're not doing it right. Jesus's teaching is very clear. You want to follow me? It won't be comfortable. Keep going. Look at what it says. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, before we go any further, here in this situation, uh, the guy says, let me go bury my father. He wasn't saying my dad just died in the funerals tomorrow. Can I just do that real quick? No, what he was saying was my dad hasn't died yet. But as soon as my dad dies, I'll follow you. Jesus knew what was going on. He said, you leave the dead to bury the dead. You're going to see later on in one of the passages we're going to look at that the scripture says we have to be willing to hate mother and father in order to follow Jesus. How many people over the years have heard spiritual truth, but they were raised in a different type of teaching, raised in a different denomination, if you will, and they were taught things that weren't biblical by their parents, and they knew what the scripture was saying and what they would need to do to give their life to Jesus and follow with baptism, but that would hurt mom, it hurt my dad. Because they raised me in a different way. And Jesus says, you need to let the dead bury the dead. You have to come follow me. Are we willing, even if it means that we lose relationship with loved ones who don't understand the truth? Again, don't go out and try to be offensive. The gospel's offensive enough by itself. It doesn't need any of your help. But don't be surprised if following the Lord means that you actually suffer persecution from family members, folks. Verse 61, yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jump over to Luke chapter 12. Look at 49 through 53. Luke 12, starting in verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one household, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Isn't that interesting? We don't hear people preach on this passage very much, do we? Jesus said, do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I came to bring judgment. Now, wait a minute, Jim, doesn't, wasn't, didn't, the, didn't the angels announce at his birth peace on earth? Oh, quote the rest. Goodwill toward men, quote the rest, with whom his favor rests, on whom he's well pleased. Folks, listen. The peace has been offered. But the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, there is no peace for the wicked. Peace will come to those on whom his favor rests. Whom does his favor rest? Those who have put their faith in Jesus alone. And they put all their eggs in that basket. They put their faith alone in what Jesus has done through his sinless life, through his sacrificial death, through his resurrection from the dead. And their eternal security and everything is staked on faith in Jesus. Not in the rituals and the things you do. Not in other things, but Jesus alone. 
and he must be first. And don't be surprised, folks. I, I hate this because I'd love to see families get along. But some of you are probably dealing with this now. If you follow Jesus and there are those in your family that don't, you will have problems. Unless you decide to pretend to follow Jesus, but are more interested in keeping everybody happy. I'm just going to say to you, be careful. It's not my job to determine who's going to heaven and who's not. It's not my job to determine who's going through the narrow gate and who's going through the wide. That's between you and the Lord and the angels who are going to separate it at the end of the day of judgment. But let me just tell you, I'm just going to read to you the words of Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter 19. Look at verses 23 through 26. Matthew 19, verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, that's here on the earth, by the way, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Go to Luke chapter 14. I'm intentionally not preaching very much on these passages, because I believe the Word of God is powerful in and of itself. And on top of that, I want to avoid the danger of trying to explain it too much. Because a lot of times I've found over the years when you preach things along, along this line, people say, well, what about this, Jim? Or what about this, Pastor? Or what about this? And my humanity and my flesh wants to explain it and say, well, this is okay and that's not. That's not for me to call. The Holy Spirit's going to show you whether you're right or wrong before Him. What areas you need to forsake in order to follow Him. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned, and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now wait a minute, now this helps us a little bit. We've had a little problem with this hating mom and hating dad and brother and sister and children, but now he says you have to hate your own self. Does that help you understand a little bit more what he's talking about here? He's saying he must be first. But not first, and then some other things are second. He's not only first, he's second and third. Everything is centered in him. Remember how the Bible says that Jacob, I have loved, and Esau, I have hated? Did God hate Esau? No, if you study the scriptures, you realize he didn't hate Esau. What he was saying, though, at least with our definition of the word hate, what he was saying was, I've chosen Jacob. I didn't choose to work through Esau. We, when we forsake all else and we forsake ourselves and deny ourselves, we are choosing Him and Him alone. And what He says 
we will do. Not, we believe in you to get me to heaven, but I'm going to call the shots from here on out. Keep reading. Luke 14, 25 through 33. It says in verse 27, Who doesn't, he, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he is enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any of you who does not, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Folks, let's be honest. Is this the kind of preaching we hear in our churches today? Not even close. What we hear is, is all you got to do is just give your life to Jesus. All you got to do is just pray this prayer. All you got to do is just come. And the Bible says that there are going to be many who spring up and look like salvation when they respond weakly to the word of God, but they don't have real salvation because the seed never took full root. And when trouble comes, they fall away because, you know what, I believed in that Jesus guy, but then mama died. Or I put my faith in him, and then I got sick, and then I, I, and they fall away. They never were saved. And by the way, our churches are full of these kind of people because we've been preaching for years this easy. Just go ahead and pray this prayer, and you're saved. The Bible says some seed falls on the rocky soil. I'm sorry, the thorny soil, and springs up. It sure looks good, but then the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it. They fall away because they had no root. Folks, we shouldn't be surprised why our churches look the way they looked and the way people treat each other the way they do. We've been preaching a gospel that says, everybody come. But that isn't what Jesus preached. Oh, it's offered to all. But he said, oh, before you come, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. It's going to make it hard on you when you have family issues with people that don't see it the way that I teach it. And he goes right on and on. You notice when people say, I want to follow you. He said, think about it before you do it. What would happen in our churches if we gave an invitation and said, hey, whoa, 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 don't be in a hurry. Think about it before you come. We're more interested in getting our numbers. We're more interested in counting our growth. We're more interested in counting how many cars are in the parking lot. And we think that, man, we got so many. Well, this one preacher put it well years ago. Vance Havner was asked about this one church. So what's this? What's that church like? He said, well, they're about so many miles wide and about a half inch deep. What I want to do tonight is I want to close with next week's passage. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. I'm just going to read it to you, touch on it briefly, and I want you to be studying it for when we come back together next week. Because this is where it all gets down to brass tacks when it comes to each of us individually. Listen to Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We're going to break this passage down and kind of continue in the next verses next week in our study. But I want you to begin reading on those verses and kind of praying over the verses following. And I want you to let the Spirit of God begin to speak to you. 
Are there areas that he's saying to you, let this go too? Let this go too? Let this go too? I don't believe that Jesus expected us at the moment we got saved to have forget, given everything over to him. We, we couldn't handle it. But if you're truly born again, the Bible's very clear that if he that began the good work in you is in you, he's going to finish it. And that he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. And the true believers are those who over time, when the sun comes and scorches and you go through struggle, you stick. When the thick cares of this world tug at you and you stick around, and you stick around and you produce fruit over time, those are the ones of us who are truly saved. And the Bible says very clearly that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children. But at the same time, being his children, the Bible says the evidence of those who are going to be his children are those who do the will of God. They do what he says. There's a lot of things happening in our churches today. I'm just going to throw a couple things out. We'll deal with it some more next week. But I'll just start saying, just to let you know, I'm, just going to, I'm not going to be going beyond the bounds of Scripture. But there are people that are living in sexual sin, and they're acting like it's okay and they come to church on a regular basis, and a lot of times the church even knows about it, but nobody deals with it. But you know, Paul had to deal with that in the church in Corinth. You don't believe me, go read chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. There are things that are happening in your life that the Lord is talking to you about, and I'm just going to just say this to you. It's not my job to get it fixed. It's your job to follow obediently to the Lord. But are there things in your life that He's been saying to you, I want you to give this to me. I want this to change. You have an attitude problem, and I want to fix it. You have a mouth and foul language problem, but I want to fix it. You have an area that I can give you victory, but I want you to give it to me. Folks, we're going to deal with next week the fact that when it talks about obeying him and doing what he says, it's not us doing better. It's surrendering fully to the one who said, I will save you and I will sanctify you. I want to encourage you. Next week's not going to be as scary as you think. It's actually going to be fun when we look at what he says. Obey his commands means give everything to me. Trust me. But for tonight, I just want you to be reminded. God loves you. And his return is soon. And he's going to be taking us before the great day of wrath. Oh, the wrath of God's already being revealed against man. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, it's already been revealed. He gives us over to our shameful lusts. And the nation of Israel is under the wrath of God right now. The Bible's very, very clear. I know it's not politically correct to say it, but I'd rather stand before God and say, I'll tell you what your word said, not what the politics said I said to say. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the evidence that God's given a nation over and a people over is that homosexuality will rise and be approved. Men with men and women with women. And in this nation, as each state starts to say it's okay for homosexuals to be married, and the Supreme Court says it's okay, it's evidence from the Scripture, from the Word of God, the wrath of God's already begun on the nation of the United States. But there is a time of His wrath, a capital W wrath that is coming, and a time of judgment that is coming, and God has left us as His ambassadors lovingly to just be salt and light in this world. Don't think for a second that we're going to change the world. You're not going to. But God could use you in someone's life. Be that salt. Be that light. 
The gospel's already been preached to the whole world and needs to be preached again and again and again, and it will be by an angel at the very end of the tribulation. Don't worry about that. God's got that under control. Don't panic over, we've got to get missionaries out there. No, go where God tells you to go. He's got it under control. It'll get done. Even if you don't do what you're supposed to do, the rocks will cry out. He can get it done. Take a deep breath. Stop trying to change the world and walk with Jesus and let him change you and watch how the world will take notice. Either they'll love it or they'll hate it, but that's not your job. The study verses, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and following. I love you. See you next week. Thanks for coming.